and we're thankful for that. And, you know, I got to thinking this week as, as, as we were preparing for this, this Christmas service, why was it that Jesus was born in a manger? Have you ever, ever thought about that? You know, if, if God's going to do something, could it not have been just an edict from heaven? Mankind needed redemption. God just heralds it from heaven, and it is done. Well, certainly, God could do that. But God has set up in his word powerful principles. I've taught it often in home Bible studies that the Old Testament scriptures are the storybook. And the New Testament scriptures are the guidebook. And we see pictures in the Old Testament scriptures of powerful things foreshadowed in the New Testament scriptures. Embedded back in the book of Genesis, and then also referenced in the book of Leviticus chapter 25, and then finally referenced in the Old Testament book of Ruth, is a powerful principle called the Kingsman Redeemer. Everybody say the kinsman redeemer. Now, this is an interesting passage of scripture, and it's where I just want to jump off in this Christmas sermon today. In the Old Testament scriptures, if someone had to sell land in order to uh, pay off debt, they were a landowner, they had to sell off land to pay debt, they then became a debtor. And their very existence or their life was their payment. They didn't have the money, so they gave themselves as payment. And uh, this is why, as you and I look, read the Old Testament scriptures, things that seem a little bit strange to us. How many of you have ever read in the Bible about this thing called the year of Jubilee? Have any of you ever read about that, the year of Jubilee, that every 50 years uh, there was a redeeming of things that were owed. If you were uh, in debt to someone and uh, you couldn't pay, you were hoping that that year of Jubilee would hurry up and get there. Because it was in that year of Jubilee that debts were canceled. Uh, now, how many, how many of you wish that maybe Visa <laughs> or MasterCard would declare 2022 the year of Jubilee, that all debts will be canceled. Uh, but when someone was indebted, the only way that they could get out of debt, according to Old Testament scriptures, was they gave their life for that, or someone who was related to them, a family member, would come and become their redeemer the one that would pay the debt. And the qualifications for this kinsman redeemer as found in Leviticus 25 and the book of Genesis and really portrayed in, in great, uh, a great way in the book of Ruth was they had to be a family member, they had to be related, they had to be willing to pay the debt, and in paying the debt, they gave that debtor their family name. When they gave them their family name, then they would actually pay the debt or redeem the land. Now, in answering the question, why did Jesus come as a baby in a manger? Because he actually played by his own rules. He came in flesh. 
He came in humanity, a member of the human family. See, in Genesis, there was a debt that mankind owed. They disobeyed. Adam and Eve disobeyed, and now there's this debt, this penalty hanging over them. And so God, to redeem them, did not just herald an edict from heaven as an eternal God, but he came in flesh, part of the human family. And he willingly gave his life for us. It was in John chapter 10 that Jesus said, No man takes my life from me, but I lay it down of myself. How I many of you know that every time we claim that redemption and every time we are baptized in his name, we take upon him, upon our lives, the family name. We take upon our lives the name of Jesus Christ. And how many of you are glad that he did redeem us from the bondage that we were in? Romans chapter 3 says, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ. This is why he came as a baby in a manger. He came in the human family. He came to redeem or to purchase and to take the penalty off of us that we owed. And thank God that he has the power to do that. Amen. I heard someone say it a long time ago, he didn't wash my sins white as pink. He washed them white as snow. Thank God. I'm glad that he is well able to take care and redeem. How many are glad about that today? Glad that he's redeemed you? Amen. Now, I've been thinking a lot about this Christmas story, and uh, it's interesting because we come to this every year. And there seems to be a finite number of scriptures in our Bible that deal with the birth of Jesus. And so one of the challenges of preachers is how do you take a passage, a well-worn passage, and create a sermon unique every year? How do you do that? We can talk about the fact he came in a manger and the shepherds were told and all of that, but how do, you, how do you negotiate this? How do you navigate this every single year? And the more I think about the Christmas story, the more I consider this. We cannot separate the Christmas story from the supernatural power of God. Now I want you to think about what will transpire over the next six days in this country, in this city, in this state. We will see lights. Christmas trees, kids will get pictures with Santa, uh, presents, Christmas carols. Some of you start putting Christmas carols on in September. Some of you start decorating in October. Some of you husbands, you want to hold out from going in the attic till at least the middle of November. I felt something over here when I said that. But for all of the practicality of Christmas, for all of the things that seem so normal, nice, yes, but normal about Christmas, you and I cannot consider this time of year without considering the supernatural aspect of what Christmas really means. Supernatural, by definition, is departing from what is usual or normal especially so as to appear to transcend the laws of nature. Albert Einstein said there are only two ways to live your life, 
One is as if nothing is a miracle. The other is as if everything is. Philip Yancey, in a book that he wrote called The Rumors of Another World, said that there are two ways of looking at the world. One takes the world apart, while the other seeks to connect and put it together. We live in an age that excels in the first and falters at the second. Now, with that in mind, it is my strong belief that there are a couple of ways at approaching God at this season of the year. One takes God apart. We make God manageable. We make God measurable. I can reduce God to a set of propositions and neat theologies. And if we aren't careful, we can end up with a God in a box that fits our little ideology. Or, as A.W. Tozer said, we end up with a God who can never surprise us, never overwhelm us, never astonish us, and never transcend us. But the story of the birth of Jesus is absolutely not possible without acknowledging the supernatural power of God. I want to tell you something, folks. What we are talking about today, what we are singing about today, what I am preaching about today is nothing short of the supernatural power of God. The supernatural is embedded in everything about Christmas. Think about it with me. Pregnancy in the body of a girl named Elizabeth, who the scripture says was well advanced in years, far beyond childbirth years. Pregnancy in the body of a virgin girl named Mary. That's miraculous. Pinpointing to shepherds the exact city in Israel as to where Jesus would be born. That's supernatural. Protection of Jesus from a murderous Herod by Jesus and his family fleeing to Egypt. That's supernatural. And in order to produce any miracle, God is just looking for one thing, and that is somebody who believes that he can do it. Somebody that believes if he can do that for a little virgin girl named Mary, if he can produce something out of nothing, he can still work miracles today. Oh, listen, I know there are some in our culture that would like to say that they adopt the, the doctrine of cessation, which means that miracles have stopped. There's no other miracles. But I am looking this morning at miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle sitting in this room right now. Come on, I believe he's a miracle worker, and he's still a miracle worker. Amen. One person said it like this, our arms are too short to box with God. And so I feel the call of the Holy Ghost today is to believe for big, impossible things. At the end of 2021, to believe for big things. To ask for big things. As Jesus said, ask that the mountain would be removed and cast forth. 
I believe many times and too often in my life, I settle for asking for too little. When we have a God that said, I am, that means he is able to do anything. He's able to, to move the mountain. He's able to heal the body. He's able to deliver the attic. He's able to touch the family. He's able to lift up the finance. He's able to do the impossible. So here's my question. Do you need a Christmas miracle this year? Do you? I do. Anything that you haven't got yet that you wish you had? I'm not talking about what you're going to unwrap Saturday morning under the tree. I'm talking about a miracle that you've asked God for. But as of yet, you haven't seen it come to pass yet. Is there anybody in the house that needs a miracle this time of year? Is there anybody that needs God to go beyond human laws? Go beyond what, God, what we can do in our... Is there anybody here that needs him to become the healer that we can't be to ourselves? Anybody need him to be the lifter of your head up above the depression that you've dealt with for far... Is there anybody needing a Christmas miracle today? And I've got, a, I've got a challenge for us. Sometime before we leave this service today, ask him for that. Ask him for it. Oh, but pastor, I've asked him 12 times for it and it hasn't come to pass yet. Ask him a 13th time. I've been asking for two and a half years and it hasn't come to pass. Ask him again for it. Oh, I just feel it. I'm not going to preach a long time today, but I want to tell you what I've been feeling in the Holy Ghost. From the very first page of our Bible, this eternal God can speak into nothing and say, let there be. And light springs forth and firmament springs forth and, 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 and grass starts growing on the ground and water is, is parted and peep, things start happening at the very word of God. What would happen in this house if there'd be two or three or 12 or 15 of us that would rise up, whether we've asked him a hundred times or not, and say, Lord, it's me again coming into your presence and I'm asking you to do what I cannot do and I'm asking you to bless in a way that I cannot bring to my own being. I'm asking you to step in where doctors can't go, and I'm asking you to do what people can't do, and I'm asking for a miracle, Lord. I'm asking for a miracle. I'm asking you today. I'm challenging every person in this room. Sometime before you leave this house, ask him again for that miracle. If he can speak into nothing and create everything, and if the Holy Ghost can overshadow a virgin girl who's never been with a man, and from that holy union comes the Savior that we rejoice and praise today, then he is well able to handle my miracle. So in our house, as with perhaps your house, we have a nativity set, and uh, we love putting the nativity out every year. It has a lot of meaning to us. How many of you have a nativity set you set up? Yeah. And um, I remember when I was uh, just a young father, when my kids were small, uh, I, I would set up the nativity, and when they first began to kind of learn 
about all of it and read from the scripture because we still have a tradition that we read the Christmas story on Christmas morning, even though my kids are now grown. We still do that. And, and I, I would put, and, and I don't know how your nativity set is, but in our nativity set, there's like a, there's a donkey and there's a camel. And then, of course, Mary and Joseph and the little baby and shepherds and the wise men. And even though some of that's out of place because they weren't all there at the manger. But at least it gives us the, the, the gist of it. And I would put, I, I, I would put you know, the donkey in the stable right next to Joseph. And I did it on purpose to try to see if my kids would, would, would catch it. My son would look at me and he'd say, Dad, that doesn't go there. It doesn't go there, Dad. You need to move that out there. So he'd get it arranged. And just a little dad humor that failed miserably when my kids were younger. <laughs> but when I consider this story, this well-worn passage of Scripture, there are some things about it that are very, very poignant to our lives today. And we can't miss this. So everybody right now, I'm going to ask you to turn your brains on. If you haven't done that yet, if you're still kind of getting it going today, nudge your neighbor and say, now's the time to turn the brain on. You know what? That felt good. Just turn to someone else and say, good morning. We're glad you joined us here today. I want you to take your Bible and go with me to the book of John, chapter number one, and also the book of Genesis, chapter three. John, chapter one, and Genesis, chapter three. You and I cannot examine the Christmas story without coming to one very obvious conclusion that jumps off the page at us and into our spirit today. And that is this. God has always had a plan. Even when it seems that he hasn't had a plan, he's had a plan. He's not a God of chaos. He's not a God of haphazard circumstance. But he is a God that has always had a plan. Now, I wish to preach it to us, and I'm going to steal a little bit of the thunder that I'm going to say a little bit later and go ahead and tell you right now. And in our lives, with our miracle need, he's always got a plan. He's always got something in his mind, even when we don't see it working like we think it should. He's always got a plan because that's the way God is. He always has had a plan. In John chapter 1 and verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Would you skip down to the 14th verse? of John chapter number 1. John 1 and verse number 14. And the Word became flesh. Would you look at this? And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John said, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word 
was God. Now, upon quick perusal of this New Testament verse, we will sometimes come to the conclusion, well, yes, of course, in the beginning was the word. He said, let there be light, and he said, let the firmaments be divided. But there is something much deeper than simply just a spoken word in John chapter 1 and verse 1, because the very word, word itself, refers not only to a spoken word, but it embodies a conception or an idea. And so in the very beginning of time, there was the concept of redemption. And there was the idea of God himself. And you and I cannot utter God's name without being closely connected and intertwined with his redemption. Because you and I do not say Jesus and have the ability to separate that from Calvary. You and I cannot declare the name of Jesus and are able to come out, somehow separate that, not only from his miraculous power, but the purpose with which he came to this earth. And that was to redeem mankind. And according to scripture, the idea itself of redemption was in the beginning with God. In the beginning with God. The idea of reclaiming mankind. The idea of redeeming mankind. The idea of bringing mankind back from the abyss of their sin. That was from the beginning. God did not have to wait. Oh, somebody hear me right now. He did not wait until man messed up to come up with a plan. The plan of redemption was with God from the very beginning of time. Because he's always had a plan. He's always had redemption in mind. He's always had a plan for reclaiming man in, in mind. He's always had a plan. And so for him to have a plan to overshadow a little virgin girl was not the end to beat all. He had that plan in mind from the beginning of time, Scripture says. In Genesis chapter 3, verses 14 and 15, when the Lord is speaking judgment and curses upon various individuals and entities, man, woman, he comes to the serpent, and here's what he says. The Lord God said to the serpent... Because you have done this, you've deceived man. You are cursed more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. Now watch this. And I will put enmity. That's a big King James word for war. I will put enmity between you and and the woman, watch this next phrase, and between your seed, that which comes from you, and her seed, that which comes from her. This is a messianic reference to the one, the savior that would come from woman. And then the word says, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. It is a prophetic word about the Messiah that there will come one from woman that will conquer you. 
Uh, the, the, the reference that we just read says that he will bruise Satan's head. That word bruise means to crush his head, to tr crush his control. And here's what the Lord said. There's coming one from this woman that will someday crush your plan, Satan. He will not come alongside you and pacify you. He will come and through what he does crush your plan and crush your head this tells me god had a plan for redemption from the beginning of time and so when you and i come together on a sunday morning and we find ourselves bound by addiction and bound by trouble and bound by despair and needing a miracle needing a change i've got good news for somebody his redemption plan did not start pre-COVID. His redemption plan did not start in 1901. His redemption plan did not start in 1801. His redemption plan was with him from the beginning of time. Come on, somebody. We can take great strength in that today. We can rejoice in that today. He's always had a plan. He had a plan with Mary and Joseph. He has a plan for us today. He's always been up to something. A couple of nights ago, I walked into a hospital room with a pastor in our state who has been quite ill. He was on a ventilator last week for several days. It was touch and go for a while as to whether he was even going to come out of that. It wasn't a COVID situation, but a very dire situation physically for him. And I walked into his hospital room, and he greeted me. He said, hey, pastor. I said, well, man, it is good to hear you talking. Last time I heard you were on a vent. He said, I know. And he's laying real still. He was real animated, but real still because he was still in, in a whole lot of pain. And I got to talking to him, and he said this to me two or three times. He said, Brother Gaddy, Jesus is up to something right now. He said, I don't know why I'm going to have to spend Christmas in a hospital room. But one thing I do know, Jesus is up to something right now. He said, I wouldn't have planned on this. I wouldn't have planned for all this to happen right before Christmas. But one thing I do know, and here's this guy. I'm supposed to be the one coming to encourage him. And the man laying in the bed is encouraging me. And he's saying, here's what I know. I don't know all that Jesus is doing, but I know he's doing something right now. He said, I've been able to witness to nurses and doctors. He said, one doctor walked in here recently and said, sir, I don't know everything that's going on, but what I do know is God is touching your body and God is bringing you back from the brink of death. Come on, somebody. He always has a plan. He always has a plan. Jesus is up to something. So here's my challenge this morning. Let's change our self-talk this week. Let's change our self-talk. Not God, are you there? Or God, what are you doing? But rather, God, you are working. God, you are up to something. I believe you have a plan right now. I wouldn't have signed up for some of the ways we've gone through plans, but I believe Jesus is up to something right now. If Mary and Joseph's story can tell us anything, it's the fact that Jesus 
has a plan. Here we go. Nudge your neighbor and say, come on, stay awake. Here we go. Number two, this plan of God, it invites human availability and participation. This is so good. Oh, maybe it's jet lag, but I'm feeling really, really good right now. (laughs) This plan of God invites our availability and our participation. I am so thankful that he does not execute his plan simply by himself. But he invites us to be a part of his plan. Now, I understand the, the, the stronghold that I will come up against in saying that right there. And here's what, I, I guess I've preached long enough, Brother Jackie, to know this to be true. When I say that, there are people in this room that say, well, of course you think that, Brother Gaddy. You are a pastor. <laughs> you wake up in the morning speaking with No, I don't. (laughs) But there is so inbred sometimes in us an alienation of us from being part of the process because we see way too much of us as being possible for God to use. You you don't know, Pastor. Uh, My dad was a drunk. You you don't understand. I I know your mom and dad are a part of this church, and your kids are serving, but you don't understand. I'm the only one in my family serving the Lord. Can I please just call that out right now? Please, listen. There's a Hebrew word for that, and it's called hogwash. (laughs) I'm kidding about it being a Hebrew word, but I'm going to call it out right now. Because as long as we make excuses, we separate ourselves from God's miracle power. As long as we say, that's good, preacher, but it doesn't pertain to me. Can I tell you something? We don't have to be perfect for God to work miraculously in our midst. And there ought to be somebody in this house that gets happy about that right now. Because there's not any of us perfect in this room. We got warts and we got problems and we got issues and we got family issues and we got difficulties and we got things we don't want put on that screen and we got things we don't want people to know about. But can I tell you something? His plan invites our availability and his plan invites our participation. He says, Mary, I got a miracle for you. Are you in for it? So just in case you think it is not you, In Matthew chapter 1, there are 17 verses that lay out the family tree of Jesus. And in that family tree is a man named Jacob who was a deceiver. In that family tree is a man named Judah who fathered his two sons, Perez and Zerah, by deception of his daughter-in-law, Tamar. 
In that family line is a man named Solomon who had a great weakness with women. In that family line is Rehoboam who was cruel, insecure, and heavy-handed. In that family line is Jehoram, and when he became king, he was so brilliant he killed his six brothers. In that family line is a man named Ahaz who embraced heathen worship and mixed it into the temple worship. How you feel about your family right now? In that family line is a man named Manasseh who reinstituted false Baal worship. He sponsored cult worship and had prophets of God executed. In that family line is a man named Jeconiah who was cursed by God's prophet Jeremiah. In that same family tree is a man by the name of Jehoiakim who was a godless tyrant who committed atrocious sins and crimes. And then I show up on a Sunday morning and I think that my less than stellar past voids God's miraculous potential power. I would say to you, Joseph would disagree with you because it was Joseph that had that heritage. It was Joseph that had that family tree. It was Joseph that had that in his lineage. And yet he became a vessel that God used to bring into this place a Messiah. He invites our participation and he invites our availability. How human it was for Mary to look at the angel when the angel said, you're going to have a baby. What? How can this be? Since I do not know a man. The angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. I'm going to tell you something. That part of that verse took me hostage last night. How is this going to happen, God? How is this going to be a breakthrough in my life? How is this going to work in my family? How is that spouse going to come back? How is that family going to be renewed instead of fractured? How is this body going to be healed? I've got a word from the Lord for somebody today. And it's not a word from Tim Gaddy. It's a word from the Lord's angel himself. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. It will come upon your frailty. And it will come upon your insecurity. And it will come upon what seems to be separate from miraculous power. The Holy Ghost will come upon you. And the power of the highest will overshadow you. There's going to come a visitation from heaven. And yes, my friend, it's coming on you in your reality right now. It's coming on you with your barren womb right now. It's coming upon you. The Holy Spirit is going to overshadow you. And then it's as if the angel wanted to reiterate it to Mary. And it was in that moment that the angel said, oh, by the way, your cousin Elizabeth, who was barren, there's a baby in her womb. And then the angel declared it clearly, for with God, nothing will be impossible. I want you to see this like I saw this. All my life, I've read that verse and thought, yeah, when it's up to him, nothing's impossible. But the angel just got done telling Mary, 
It's going to happen with your participation. And he says, with God. You and God. Your availability. Ooh, I feel it right now. Your availability and his eternal power. Your womb and his spirit's overshadowing. Your power to say, I'm available, Lord. I'm giving myself to you. I'll say yes to your plan that you've had from the beginning. Of, you get that in, in unison with God's power. With God, along with God, you and God, with God, nothing shall be impossible. Nothing will be impossible. See, this supernatural power is embedded in every fiber of what we call the Christmas story. Let me quickly draw to a close. This Christmas story also portrays this very powerful principle to us. We can't miss this today. God's plan involves timing and it involves trust. I heard of a story of a little boy that went to church with his grandmother and they were sitting in the service and the little boy had never been in church before and so he was captivated by all the various things that were going on and he was constantly asking questions. How many of you parents remember or maybe you're there right now when your kids peppered you with questions? How come? How come? How come? Why? Why? How come? Why? Why? How come? Why? And you want, finally you said just, just because. Trust me. Mommy says so. And so this little boy would lean over to his grandmother while the preacher was preaching. He would say, Grandma, I got a question. She'd say, yeah. He'd say, yeah, what does it mean when the preacher takes a drink of water? <laughs> and the grandmother said, that means he's, he's thirsty. He's preaching and he's using his voice and he's thirsty. Okay. Preacher preached on a little while and little grandson nudged his grandma and said, Grandma, what does it mean when the preacher takes out his handkerchief and wipes his forehead? What does that mean? And she said, well, that means he's hot. He's got perspiration. He's wiping it off. Oh, okay. Preacher preached on a little while longer. And before long, he reached in and undid his watch, put it up on the pulpit, kept on preaching. Grandson said, Grandma, what does it mean when the preacher takes his watch off and puts it on the pulpit? Grandma said, Nothing. <laughs> Doesn't mean a thing. You will notice I have no watch today. Because you and I are very prone to live our lives by time. And if we have prayed numerous times and it has not come to pass, we're liable to say, well, must not be God's will. Must be something wrong with me. Must be something that God's not going to fix in my life. And yet God's plan, according, according to this Christmas story, always involves timing and trust. 
The Bible says in the book of Acts chapter 2 that when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven that filled all the house where they were sitting and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them that language. Why did that, how did that happen? It happened when God's timing came. When the people came together and God's timing came because God's plan always involves timing and trust. In Galatians chapter 4 and verse 4, Paul declares, But when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. Inherent and embedded in this Christmas story is the timing of God. When the fullness of time had come, when the completion had come of all prerequisite, Jesus was born in a manger to a little virgin girl. Timing. Trust, timing, trust, timing, trust. Listen to me right now. I want to say something that's going to say, well, I'm not going to qualify. I'm just going to say it. We can trust the timing of God. We can trust the timing of God. He keeps good records. Prayers are never expiring. Prayer is not wasted. There is a time and a season for all things. It was these people who were so bound by time that looked at the risen Savior right before he ascended into heaven. And they got in their mind a literal kingdom set up here on earth. And they said this, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? In other words, I have an idea of what the plan should be. It should be the way it's been done in the past, the kingdom of Israel. Lord, have you done all of this? Have you risen from the dead? Are you appearing to us right now? And is the time right now for you to restore the kingdom to Israel? And here's what the risen Savior said. It's not for you to know the times or the seasons that I've put in my hands. Because what God was preparing for that group of people when they came off of that mountain and went in that upper room was far greater than any literal kingdom could ever bring to pass. What he had in mind for the next step of their lives was greater than a throne in one place with one king and relegated to one geographic area. He was preparing a people for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit to where it would then begin to spread to every part of the known world. Oh, I've come to tell somebody he's got a plan and his plan is far greater than any of us could ever imagine in our own finite ability. Let's stand together, please. 
Here's what I'm going to ask us to do. In just a moment, I'm going to ask everybody in the house to join us around the front of this sanctuary. In just a moment, I'm going to invite all of us to pray together. It's the last time corporately as a church that we will pray together before Christmas 2021. But I have asked God, and I'm going to ask God, and I'll invite you to ask God that he will allow something to be birthed miraculously in us. To trust him. To believe he has a plan. And to believe he's working on our behalf. Would you come right now? Would everybody in the house? You don't have to be a member of this church to come. I wish everybody would come, members and guests alike. I want you to come. Come on, we're going to pray together before we go home. In just a few moments after we're done praying, I'm going to step out to the front and in the atrium. I hope to get to greet all of you before you leave today. Love on you a little bit. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for those of you that have been a part of this church during 2021. We've done our best this year to navigate through the continued uncertainty of COVID and all of that that it brings. We'll continue, Lord willing, to do that in this next year. But I want to appreciate you today for your faithfulness. Those of you that are guests, we're so honored to have you today. So thankful for your attendance. So thankful for your involvement today. I'm just so blessed to see what God is doing in our lives. Maybe you would want to join me, and this is what I'm saying to God this week, Mary. God, I believe you have a plan for the miracle. God, I'm available. God, I trust your timing. I want you just to close your eyes. I want you to hear that again. Maybe you would feel a witness to pray that to the Lord right now. God, I believe you have a plan for my miracle. You believe that today? God, I'm available. You call for participation and availability. I'm available. I don't even know what all that means yet, God, but I'm available. God, I trust your timing right now. I trust your timing right now, Lord. Oh, goodness, I feel, I feel a great move of God's spirit in this room right now. Come on, why don't you just put that into your own words right now? I've kind of shared with you the way I'm going to pray it this week. But would you just put that into your own words right now? you got a plan, Lord. you got a plan for my miracle. God, I'm available. I'm not going to be a bystander to your miraculous power. Like Mary, I'm going to be involved in that. Be it according to me, according to your word. That's what Mary said. And I'm going to say, Lord, let it be according to your word in my life right now. I'm available. I'm a vessel, Lord, that you can work through for this miracle, Jesus. And Lord, I do trust your timing. I do trust that a fullness of time is coming for that miracle. I trust your timing. I trust your timing. Would you do this? Would you just look around? Maybe there's someone near you right now that you can connect with and you can just ask God that in this week leading up to Christmas, they will capture what has been preached today. They will capture it. They will grab a hold of it. It'll be something that will be with them and pulsate in their spirit and be part of their prayer life. Oh God, Lord, let us be sealed by the Holy Ghost today and what we are experiencing and what we're hearing, the, the, the truth that's been deposited in our spirit from your word today, Lord. In Jesus' name. Oh, you became the kinsman redeemer, Lord. That was part of your plan. 
for you to come in flesh. God was manifest in flesh, justified in the spirit. Thank you for that, Lord. Thank you for your plan, Lord. Thank you that you invite us to be a part of your plan. Thank you for your divine and providential timing, Lord. Let us not miss it. Let us not miss it, Lord. Let us not miss it with unbelief. Let us stay faithful and trust your timing, Lord. Oh, I worship you. Help me sing it, Brother Dennis. You're here working in this place. Oh, yes, I worship you. Do you believe he's working? Do you believe he's working on our behalf? Oh, you're here. Moving in our midst, I worship you. Oh, I worship you. Oh, you are here. You're here. I worship you, Jesus. Yes, I worship you. Oh, you are here. Oh, yes, you are, Lord. Promise keep light in the darkness, my God. That is who you are. You're a way maker. Oh, miracle worker. Promise keep light in the darkness. Sing it now, yes. Way maker, miracle worker, promise keep light in the darkness. That is who you are. You're a way maker. Yes, you are. miracle worker, promise keep light in the darkness. My God, that is who you are. When I don't see it, you're working. Sing it. Even when I don't see it, you're working. Woo. Even when I don't feel ah. it, you're working. You never stop. You never you're working, stop Lord. Working. You're working, Lord. You never stop. You never stop working. Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop. You never stop working. You never stop, you never stop working. Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop, you never stop. You never stop working. Sing it again. Oh, even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop. You never stop working. Oh, waymaker, sing it. Waymaker. Miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness, my God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, you are a That's who you are. One more time, Waymaker. Waymaker, miracle work, promise. 
just speak a word of faith over this congregation today. I believe in staying in the book. I believe our strength, Brother Isaiah, is in the book. There's a reason he's given us his word, and he's given us his word to do more than have a devotion in the morning, and I think devotions are awesome, but he's given us his word to claim his word and to claim his power over our life. So before I walked into this room, I, I kept reading through that Christmas story. And Mary starts singing after she says, Lord, do it in my life. And here's what she says, and this is what I am claiming for every person under the sound of my voice live in Cabot right now. And those of you watching online right now, I am praying that there is coming a day in the future that you will sing this part of Mary's song. Here it is, Luke chapter 1, verse 49. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. Woo. I believe somebody's going to have a miracle come your way, and all you're going to be able to say is for he that is mighty has done to me great things, and holy is his name. Holy is his name. How many of you want to reach up and grab a hold of that promise and say, Lord, it's going to happen. I'm believing it. It's going to happen in my life. It's going to happen. You are mighty. You are doing great things. And holy is your name. Holy is your name. Praise God. Lord, I speak your rich blessing over every person here at New Life today. I'm asking by the authority of the Word of God and the power of the name Jesus that you will go with this great group of people this week. I pray, Lord, that this Christmas season will be more than a historical footnote in our spirit, but it will be our passport to the miraculous in our life. I pray, Lord, we would learn the lesson of the Christmas story and release through our faith the supernatural overshadowing of the Holy Ghost. I claim it for this great congregation. And I thank you and we'll give you all the glory, all of the praise, and all of the honor. It's due to your name, Lord, in Jesus' name. And everyone, would you say amen? Amen. amen. Now, would you do me a favor? This is the last time we'll have church before Christmas, okay? So just take a couple of moments. Don't rush out real quick. And the reason why I'm saying that is twofold. Number one, we need to do that. That's, Christmas is about connecting with people, loving on people. That's number one. Number two, I need some time to get to the front door. <laughs> so would you just connect with three or four people, and I'll meet you out in the atrium. Merry Christmas. Have a great week. Don't see it your work. Even when I don't feel it, you work stop you never stop working you never stop you never stop